Welcome, everybody, to the Yo Kid Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Gargano. This is the podcast that surrounds everything youth sports. So I've covered pro and college sports the highest level, and I have fallen in love with youth sports. I'm a big believer in sports for children. I, I just think it's a it's such a great uh, great outlet and keeps them out of trouble. Keeps them they learn so many great life lessons. So as we go forward with the podcast, we're going to be talking to a lot of different people in the world of youth sports. We'll talk to some professional athletes who have children of themselves. We'll talk about the journey of the athlete. We'll highlight some of the terrific youth uh, sports athletes across the Delaware Valley and beyond. Uh, but really, we really want to try to give some advice to the parents. Listen, if you got a good story, good idea, please, like I said, hit me up and we'll get to it. Yo Kids Sports Podcast. And don't forget, our Yo Kids Sports Podcast is presented by Primo Hoagies. Listen, know what I've always said for years and years and years. It's not just a hoagie. It's a Primo. And uh, this fall, whether you're tailgating, football, soccer, it's youth, you name it, make sure you got your Primo Hoagie party tray. Nothing like it for the big game. And speaking of football and the big game, this fall we're giving away a trip to Vegas to see the very big game to one very lucky, very deserving coach. So if you know a youth coach that you think deserves recognition for their outstanding dedication and passion, make your nominations today. Primohogies.com. You can go directly mvc.primohogies.com. Our most valuable coach promotion here at Primo's. I love it. We, we got to shine some love, give some love to these youth coaches that spend their time, many of whom are just getting there full and <laughs> no compensation. So they're the best. Nominate your favorite coach. Again, it's the uh, Primo Hoagies most valuable coach contest. I love it. I think it's great. And who knows, maybe they'll get to see uh, the birds at the big game. Wouldn't that be something? I am so thrilled for our next guest. I love him, dear friend, but an incredible basketball coach. Those all about youth. His camps are renowned. Like any person in South Jersey who's a basketball player has played at the Legler camp. Trust me on this. The great Tim Legler, ESPN NBA analyst joins us. Legs, get a long journey today, buddy. And what's up, man? You, yeah, listen, you, you you know I love you when I'm coming on after an 11-hour drive, brother, and doing this with you. Uh, I did, I did. Made my made my uh, twice-a-year trip that I have to make from my house in South Jersey down to Florida. So I'm down here for a little bit. That's awesome. And we, we fact, and listen, it, it's very, it was very important for me to, to have you on this because I, I think you're an expert. Obviously, you're an expert in basketball, but you're an expert in coaching and an expert when it comes to kids. And I, I you know, again, I need to let's start off with your camp and you know what the impact that you make when it comes to youth basketball in the especially in this region. Yeah, you know, so I moved into the South Jersey area uh, 16 years ago. I got was living in the city. I got married, moved out to the Burbs, and immediately kind of wanted to entrench myself in the community. So one of the first things I did was reach out to, 
you know, some of the local gyms, local high schools and say, hey, you know, I had moved into the area. I was looking to start a basketball camp. And uh, that's kind of where it began. And, you know, it's funny when you first are trying to get it going and you have to do everything it takes, like drive around, stuff mailboxes with brochures like you got to do everything to get the word out. So very proud of it, man. We started the first year with about maybe 65 kids and now. We're at like 320 and shutting down registration every year, a couple weeks out. We sell it out every year now. So I'm really proud of what it's become. We've changed facilities two different times. And now we're, we're over Total Turf in Pittman, um, which has got five courts under one roof. So I can't, can't ask for any more than that. But it's my favorite week of the year. I, I look forward to it unlike any other week. I love working with the, the little ones and, uh, and, and getting players and, and making them understand what it's going to take to get better. Not everybody's going to end up being a great player. Some kids come, they've never played before. And I want to make sure they learn the absolute building blocks on the things that they need to work on. If they fall in love with the game and get a bug for it, these are the kinds of things that you're going to need to do if you really want to become a player. Um, and, and my goal with the whole thing, I tell the kids first day every year is I just want them to love it more when they leave the last day than they did when they walked in the door on Monday morning. If they do that, they love the game more. They work at it. So that's my job, my staff's job. Make sure they fall in love with it just a little bit more. And in some cases, kids fall in love with it a lot more. Every year I get letters from parents saying their kid caught the bug for the game that week, and now they can't get him inside from the driveway because all they yeah. want to do is shoot and work on their handling. So that that's those are the best letters to get, best emails to get. Oh, that's beautiful. What What's – what is when you introduce kids to the game? Because we forget sometimes that they're children, right? Like that, and and here you are as a coach that can, you know, listen. You could coach the elite of the NBA, let alone kids. And so, where do you begin with the building blocks of basketball? It always is going to start with footwork. Like the, the, when you start talking about the building blocks, particularly with beginners, beginners and young players, because I have kids as young as seven come to my camp. So technically ages are eight to 16. We always get a handful of seven year olds that ask if they can come and, and they come. So we're seven years old starting out. If they don't have the basic concepts of being able to pivot, to be able to change directions with their feet, to be able to stay on balance with their feet, um, if they can't kind of grasp that, then you, you know, you're really kind of stuck in the mud. That That's the first thing. And then I always tell players, the young players, and I wish someone had told me this when I was growing up, that ball handling is probably the most important thing you need to master when you're 8, 9, 10 years old. Because you get to the point when you're 13, 14, 15, and you haven't worked on your handle a lot, it gets very difficult to add it then. Not saying you can't. If you got an addiction for the game like I did and you have this maniacal, you know, obsessive work ethic, you could do anything. But it just it's it's the it's it enables you to be able to escape on the court and it be able to just do more things. And if more things and more places on the court are open to you, if you can master manipulating the basketball with either hand rather than just focusing on shooting all the time because most kids they just want to work on their shooting all the time. And I think handle at a younger age, far more important. If you really want to catch a coach's eye, show off a handle that can change directions, go either direction, either hand, escape traffic, those kinds of things. It, you're going to look like a more advanced player right away. And then, and then the shooting, 
that can come after that. But I would advise most young players find some good ball handling drills online. There's more access to it than I certainly ever had because of what you can find on social media and start mastering some of those drills that you see guys do because it just makes you a better player. There's more options to you on the court. Yeah, it's funny because you know, when you think about being trapped, right? So I coach, you know, I coach my uh, St. Margaret's uh, fifth grade basketball, right? So, you know, we'll you had some, little... I had some of your players roll through my camp this summer. They were telling me about Coach Ant, and I was hearing about that. I love it. And, I, yeah. of course, I told them they have to go to the Tim Legler basketball camp, right? Right. I they that. said it. Yeah, they told I me. I want you to grow. The, I want you to grow. And it's funny because, like, listen, we learned about it. That age when, you know, you start to press a little bit, you start to, to be able to extend your defense. Like, I, I would run – a top matchup zone and had them attack the basketball and collapse the basketball. A kid that can handle the ball can defeat that easily. Right. right? Like yeah. most kids don't know how to handle the basketball. So I think you're spot on. I mean, that's, that's like the, the basic of the game. Yeah, definitely. Because you, you know, you think about it like, and, and most young players and, and uh, probably you know, 95% of the kids that come through camp are right-handed. So most of those young players, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get it. They're going to put it down and they're going to go right to the right corner because they get going. Yes. And number one, they don't, they don't even really know the, the, the concept of like how to stop properly without traveling. So the, and they're afraid of getting trapped. They're afraid yes. of someone taking the ball. So the one thing they can do is put that ball in their right hand and look at it and just dribble right to the right corner. And then they run out of real estate because the baseline's there, and they pick it up, and invariably it ends up at a turnover. So, you know, if you're trying to, like, make a team, you're trying to make a, a youth team, a travel team, you're trying to make a, a middle school basketball team, you know, where we all begin, if you are one of those kids that can show coaches, you can be dribbling up one side of the floor and see that you're going to be running into some traffic on that side or the kid guarding you cuts you off. And now you can change directions and get the ball to your left hand and get it back to the middle of the floor. You're just a more advanced player. The game is easier for you because even passes become easier because now everything's available because you can take the ball where you need to to deliver the ball to the open person. So it's just very, very important. And it's probably one area of the game most kids don't want to work on. They want to shoot all the time. And it, you know, the, bat, the, the handle part of it, it's more of like real work and a grind. It, and you're not seeing the success of the ball going through the hoop. Like that's instant gratification yes. when you shoot. Yeah. But you get that reward of making baskets. I mean, I got a 21-month-old now. And he's starting out and he even gets it. He makes a bucket and turns starts clapping for himself. You know, So it's like we all, we all get that gratification. The ball handling work you put in, is not, it's not gratifying to do it, right? It's, it's, it's just work. The ball's not going up on the rim. So – it's it's really separates you. How bad do you want to do it? And like I said, the great thing about living in this era now, this generation, is just the access that they have to elite level training without ever meeting these people. Just go online and look at some of these amazing drills that watch these guys have come up with. It's incredible, you know? right? And I've I've sat there at the Curry camp because I've gone out there and coached at his All American camp, and he'll do he'll invariably that week do a workout you know, one of his normal Steph Curry workouts and, you know, people are just lying in the court to watch this guy work out. And it's fascinating to watch a guy on that level still 
start out his workouts with the basic building block type stuff that we're talking about. The, the basics to get his body into rhythm before he starts doing the elite level stuff that only, you know, Steph Curry can do. Let's tackle shooting real quick because the explosion of the three, I, I watch kids and, you know, I mean, they're you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old and they're bombing threes. Like yeah. they're, it, it's amazing. Like the three with the three, has done and every kid from middle school to your point to high school, they're all just jacking up threes. Yeah, the game has changed in that way. I mean, even you know, you go watch an AAU tournament, so you're talking about high level players that are going to be division right. one players, and it's the number of threes taken in the games relative to even 10 years ago. It's really mind blowing. And that's really as that's really because of Curry. He's changed the way offenses think about attacking and scoring and spacing and all those things. So, yeah, everybody, you know, unfortunately, though, I do have a little bit of a pet peeve with it because I think I think too many below average shooters have the green light. And I think that that's when sometimes it can look ugly because yeah. that, and that's where I think a lot of the even the NBA, I'll say the same thing about the NBA, Anthony. It's like there are too many guys that are 34 percent three point shooters that shoot the ball whatever they want to. You know, and there. So I think the standards, in terms of who is considered a, like a great three-point shooter, have lowered a little bit because more guys are shooting them, and the percentages aren't there necessarily to justify it because that's the nature of the game now. That's what teams are trying to accomplish. That's what offenses are looking for, and kids know it because those are the guys that are getting all the attention. So now they're the ones that, when they play, they want to do the same thing. So all I would advise. Kids, is it's great that it's a part of the game, and you certainly need it. If you're a, particularly if you're a perimeter player and you're you're a youth player, you know you're going to need to add that to your game because that's where the game has gone. But I highly advise you to to you know try to perfect your mechanics, your balance, your release, your timing at 15 feet, 16 feet. And I always tell people that you know when I give my shooting demonstration at my camp. If you can't consistently make seven out of 10 shots from any spot on the floor unguarded in a practice session, and I don't mean like one time, I made seven out of 10. Now I can back up three feet. I'm talking about, I'm talking about today, you know, I, I was working on 15 footers and I did it from 10 spots on the floor and I did each of those. I did that five times each. And then tomorrow I did it again and I did it again for three months. And then I backed up a couple of feet. Because if you can't make seven out of ten unguarded, you know, you you are there's no reason for you to be backing up when you're practicing if that shot is not consistently going through at that rate. So that is kind of how you you build out, you know, when you when you do it, you're learning how to shoot. Unfortunately, just take a look at a lot of kids. They come into a gym, they'll go grab a ball, they'll shoot a few layups to get loose, and then within five, ten shots, they're out shooting 24-foot jumpers. Yes. You know, and so yeah. that process, and if you watch great players, you know, go watch a guy like Curry since we're on him. Go watch him before a game and get there an hour and a half before the game and, and watch where he starts out shooting. He's inside of 10 feet for probably 50 to 75 shots. He takes inside of 10 feet, and this is the greatest shooter that's ever lived, and he doesn't start immediately because your body has muscle memory, and it, they, it's stacked on top of each other from distances. And it, it's just the way you have to go about it in building out. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. In a game, 
you know, you're open, you're going to take a three-point shot. I get that. Right. What I'm saying is over time, you should start to shoot better percentages in your games if you are adopting the 70% rule in practices at closer distances. You are going to start to then find more consistency in the games. And if you're not practicing that shot enough, not having enough success enough in a gym by yourself, you're, you're never going to shoot a good percentage in games because your body's not trained to do it yet. That's so much your journey. I mean, you were an incredible shooter, you know, a really incredible offensive player. I mean, which gets you to the NBA. I mean, it's, it's real remarkable. Is that kind of, how that you're, you know, let's talk about your path for a second. Yeah. And, you know, growing up and, you know, you know, finding yourself and then being at LaSalle and then ultimately being in the league. Yeah. Very interesting because I was the late bloomer, the late comer to the game. I was a baseball star and that was going to be a major league baseball player. There was no doubt in my mind. I was a prodigy at a very young age. My dad was a baseball coach. So that was the first thing I had in my hands was a baseball bat when I was three, four years old, I was always that kid playing up, you know, two years above my head at every level in baseball, um, went to a specific high school because it was a baseball powerhouse in Richmond, Virginia. Um, basketball was always something I'd kind of messed around with at recess a little bit. You know, it was fun, but it was not something I was like super addicted to. It all changed when I was 14 years old. So I grew seven inches in a school year, a calendar year. And I went from five seven to six two, and skinny as all get out. But I was got some height on me, and I was walking through a parking lot of this high school that I was going to. I didn't know a soul because I came from a Catholic small elementary school, and all the kids at this high school came from the same middle school. And so here I was walking through the parking lot. It's literally the first day of school, and there's an older gentleman sitting on a chair in the parking lot. He was the parking lot monitor that day. And I heard, hey, Slim, in his southern draw. And I look over, and, and he calls me over, and I go over, and he says, uh, you play basketball? And I said, well, you know, I just mess around with him. I'm really a baseball player, and, you know, it's a big reason why I'm here at the school. And he introduced himself as Ralph Crockett, the head basketball coach at Tucker High School in Richmond, Virginia, and basically hounded me for the next six weeks um, in the fall to come out for basketball tryouts. And I was very mixed on whether I wanted to do it or not. And he begged me. So I try out Anthony and I, I so I, I can either make freshman ball or JV. They had a stacked varsity team. That was out of the question. I was a beginner. I get cut from JV. So my freshman year, I'm playing freshman basketball. I averaged like five points a game. But over the course of the season, I started to really dig this game. A lot because I like the fact that I didn't need anybody else to work on my game. I didn't need like someone to throw me a ball so I could hit it. Right. No one had right. to hit baseball. Me. You right. have to. Yeah. You didn't have to hit me ground balls. Yeah. Like you, know, yeah. you got to shag them in the outfield. I didn't need yeah. anybody else. I just needed a hoop, a ball, and a pair of sneakers, and I could do it as long as I wanted to. So, I, and that's kind of what my personality was. So I was starting to really get into it. And what honestly would change the course of my life was that spring, before AAU, they had something called youth games. There were 16 cities around the country represented up in Boston, a tournament. They had 100 kids try out in Richmond because we were one of the cities that was fielding a team. You had to be under the age of 15, which I was. Try out, 100 kids try out, 10 make it. I made the team. We go up to Boston. We win a gold medal. 
from from this city of Richmond. We represent. We go. We win the whole thing. I played very well in that tournament, and I remember vividly on the bus driving back from Boston to Richmond, basically having these thoughts of, "This is changing. This is going to change my life." Because I was so that into it, and I go from yeah. five five points a game as a freshman on the freshman team to starting and being the second leading scorer on a team as a sophomore on varsity to being all all league as a junior and then being all state as a senior. Like that's how fast yeah. that's how fast the ascension came over a very short period of time. And by the way, I ended up topping out at about six four and a half. In high school, I was playing inside because I didn't I didn't work on my handle. But before my senior year, I was starting to get some attention because I was putting up scoring numbers. And obviously, I could shoot it by the time I was a junior. Before my senior year, my high school coach basically said, "Listen, you're not going to play forward in, at Division One level. You, you know, you're a guard. We got to transform you into a point guard." So my senior year, I went from basically played all in the paint first three years, and I played point guard and basically just guard my entire senior year and made first team all state. And I attracted a lot of attention from schools. And next thing you know, all the offers are come pouring in. And I, and I, I am every day I'm looking over in a quarter in a gym. And this is, this is back when college coaches could come to any practice they wanted to pretty much. And I'm looking over the corner to gym felt like damn near every practice. There was either Fran Dunphy, who was an assistant coach at LaSalle, Joe Mahalik, who was an assistant coach at LaSalle, went on to Hofstra and Niagara, and Fran, of course, legendary coach at Penn and Temple, now back at LaSalle. And they just flat – this is four-and-a-half-hour drive from Rich from Philly to get to that gym. And they were they were just flat-out out recruiting everybody because I got Virginia Tech on me, VCU, University of Virginia, recruit Ohio State. And LaSalle basically – out recruited them because of the personalities and the selling point was they brought me on campus for a double header at the palestra. I had never been to the palestra before. It was Nova LaSalle, St. Joe's temple, double header on a Saturday afternoon, streamers flying, every seat filled. Every team was good. They were all top 25 caliber. Right. At the time. And I remember after I watched the South Villanova game, I, Basically, my parents, I turned to my parents. I said, this is where I want to play. I'm not, that's not even an exaggeration. Yeah. Made up my mind on the spot, kind of committed verbally that weekend. And the rest is history. I ended up going to LaSalle and, and you know, had, had a great career there. And then I came out, was not drafted, took a different route. Europe, CBA, G League, World Basketball League. It was a league. I played in it. Listen, and I was trying to get there. Had some 10-day contracts sent back, 10 days sent back. I went through a few of those, questioned it at times, is it ever going to happen? And then had a big breakthrough, be getting called up by the Dallas Mavericks in 1992. On midseason, they weren't a very good team, and they said, we're not going to worry about these 10 days. We're going to sign you for the rest of the year and let you play and see if you can sink or swim. And it took all the pressure off me. I wasn't pressing to make every shot like I was, and I relaxed. And I proved to myself, to them, to everybody in the league, I belonged, and I not only did I belong, I was going to be one of the best shooters in the league you know, over a period of the next few years. Welcome to Primo. How can we help you today? One old-fashioned meatball and make it quick because I got practice. You got it. Coach. Congratulations, Coach. You've been nominated by your team to win two tickets to the big game. Wait, nominated? So I didn't win? Smart. Not it, Coach. Most valuable, Not Coach. It.
smile, That's coach. it. Smile. Come on, smile. Smile coach. for the cows, smile. coach. You got to be kidding me. Smile, coach. That's amazing. What a story. What happened with baseball? Did you? Did you? And what? What were you a pitcher? Were you a shortstop? Where, where were you? I played shortstop my whole life until my junior year in high school. And we, like I said, we were a powerhouse. They won during a period of about, I'd say, maybe a fifteen-year period. That high school won six, eight state championships. I mean, they were they were loaded, Division One players all the time. But we had a third baseman that was struggling with his throws to first. He was bouncing everything. So they came to me and they said, would you be willing to move to third base? We're going to slide the second baseman over to play short. We're putting the kid on third over at second to give him a shorter throw. And that's why I ended up playing my last two years. I played third base and then I was a relief pitcher. I threw gas. I only had one pitch. Like if you saw me shake my head on the mound, you knew I was bluffing because I only had one thing. I was going to throw it as hard as I could. And I was going to try to close the game. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I played though, I played with a kid that – the kid I mentioned that was slid from second to short, a kid named Tony Haney, full ride, played at Auburn with Bo Jackson for four years, you know, wow. got drafted to play Major League Baseball. I've had a kid named Mike Milchin on the team who played on the Olympic team, went to Clemson, played in the major leagues. A kid named Steve O'Donnell who followed me to LaSalle and broke a lot of records there, got drafted by the Dodgers, ended up making it to the major leagues. So this was like my high school baseball team. And, you know, we were absolutely loaded. So I kept playing. And honestly, one of the reasons I chose LaSalle was because they were one of the few schools that said I could play both sports. Because the guy what? that was the head coach at the time, if you remember Lefty Irvin. Yeah. Lefty Irvin was the head coach. Lefty Irvin played basketball and baseball at LaSalle. So he understood what I was trying to accomplish. They gave me permission to do it. I went there intent on doing it. I think they had me penciled in to play shortstop. And I broke my foot in basketball the last game of the season in the conference tournament at the at the uh, Meadowlands. Oh, and I had a stress fracture. And I was basically forbidden from playing sports that spring. I went home that summer to Richmond. I played American Legion baseball again because I was so young. I had one more year left. And I tore it up. And it was the first time in my life, Anthony, that I had actually lifted weights because I had, had a year of college. Right. So the ball was jumping off my bat. Like, I had power that I never had in high school. And so now I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go back my sophomore year and I'm going to do this. But something happened mentally when I got back to school in the fall for my sophomore year and we started doing our preseason basketball workouts. I just saw such a change in me. And like, I knew it was going to be a huge year for me at LaSalle. And, and I just felt like I need at some point in my life, I need to commit to one of these two sports if I want to make it as a pro. And I had aspirations to do it. And the only way I was going to do that was commit to one sport and basketball at that point had taken over my passion. It just was what I wanted to do. It's funny. I, I listen. And, and I, I, that story is awesome because you probably could have played you know, Major League Baseball. It sounds like you probably could have. Knowing your drive and, and your competitiveness, you probably could have done it. The interesting thing is, though, you love basketball. Like, right. I listen to you break down a game, or, uh, you know, on the NBA, and, and I watch you, and and or you're talking to me, and we're talking Sixers or whatever it is. You love the game. Yeah, what yeah. is it like you're it's you just are in love it's a it's a love story which, I, which I, I yeah and i'm going to tell you why i love it so much 
I'm going to tell you why I love it so much. One of the reasons is because of what I said a second ago, that you don't need anybody else to get better. And, and, and so for a, for a worker, that's, that's, that's like, it's like, it's like something is pumping through your veins. It's an adrenaline rush being in a gym. You never look at it when you're that kind of personality type. You don't look at it ever as work. Like you love the process of getting better. So that was part of it. The other part is here's why I think basketball is such an incredible sport. You look at other sports. I'll just compare it to baseball and football for a second. Okay. In baseball, it's a team sport, obviously, but there's also a lot of individuality in it, right? So you're going to go up to that batter's box and you got a bat and it's, it's on you. The ball's going to be pitched and your job is to hit the ball unless it's situational. They're asking you to you know, move a runner or bunt. For the most part, you're going to hit the damn ball as hard as you can and you're going to then run to a specific place when you do it. Like the rules are pretty defined, right? If you're in the field, the ball is hit to you. You're going to catch the ball and then the rules are going to dictate kind of like the situation where you throw the ball, right? It's like laid out for you. And there's that individual component, me versus the pitcher. Football, other than the quarterback, who's got to make a lot of reads and determine like what receiver he's going to go to or audible out of a play or whatever. For the most part, though, you're going to run a certain route as a receiver. You're going to, you're going to, uh, the line has certain responsibilities depending on the play call, right? That's, that's out of their control. This is what they are going to do. And then you put a lot of it in the hands of the quarterback. Basketball is weird because it is this combination of individuality. When you catch the ball, you have to decide what you are going to do with it. And you got to decide that quickly. Are you going to put it down on the floor? Are you going to shoot it? Are you going to pass it? Uh, what are you looking at? Where do you look next? All those things are like, no matter how much you're coached and the system, and they're telling you every day, like where you should be looking in this particular situation and what we're trying to accomplish offensively, Bottom line is when the ball's thrown to you, the coach, all that preparation is out the window because he, it, it doesn't take into account where that defender ended up being guard, uh, guarding you. What side is he on of your body? Is he in your chest or off of you? Are you open or not? Like the coach can't control all that. So now you have that instantaneous processing in your mind of what you're going to do. But in combination with that is the beauty of four other guys moving the right way, right? And the ball advancing to the spot it's supposed to and the next cut taking place and then a guy replacing it and the spacing and the timing on the ball reversal telling this guy to cut when the ball is reversed to the other player. Like there's this beauty and synchronicity of five guys when they're playing well together that's unmatched. It's the most beautiful thing in sports, but there's also within it, this component of individualism that you can express yourself and what you're going to do. And so for me, the essence of basketball and the coaches that get it and what I've tried to do in the teams I've coached is I would say, here's when you have figured it out as a coach. If I can get player B to run the floor as hard as he can, 10 consecutive times, knowing he might only get the ball once I've done it, I figured it out. And, and that is what great coaching does. You get guys to be willing to play a certain way, knowing that they might not get rewarded the majority of the time. But when it's your turn and it's the right play, it's coming your way. And then your teammates, those four guys are going to trust that you will make the right play and find the right person and make the right cut or make the right screen and give yourself up when you need to. 
um, when it's their turn. And that is the beauty of basketball because it's not so laid out. Like on a play call, this is exactly what everybody's going to do. It doesn't work that way. There's a rhythm to it. There are reads. And then there's that final part of what are you going to do when you catch the ball? And I just think when you figure it all out and you get kids to play together, man, it's a drug. When I was coaching AAU and I had those guys playing at a high level and we just looked different because we looked like a basketball team that practiced together and cared about each other and shared the ball. And it wasn't a showcase every time up the floor for somebody we looked I and mean, I had to play that way. Cause I didn't have quite as much talent as some of these teams. It just was the, the, the adrenaline I got from that and the satisfaction I got from that of, of let making sure these kids were maxing out who they were as players because I was getting them to play together. Um, it's just nothing that I've experienced like it. The gratification that I got, from helping them at that level is just the most beautiful thing I've, I have felt in sports. You got you got to tell the story about how you became a coach and and then how you took that team because you know it's so interesting. I I think about your love of the game, your knowledge of the game, how you study the game, and quite frankly, you know we you and I have talked about this a million times. You're a born coach, like you were a born player, and you were a born coach and. You know, you made a difference, man. Like you made a difference in kids' lives, helping them go to Division One schools. That was the biggest, you know, and that's what it was all about for me. It started out as watching my 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 older son now when he was about nine years old, and he was starting to kind of fall in love with the game, and he had some talent, and and I was saw some potential in him, and I was it just what what he was getting at the the local travel league and the rec league, and like the coaching was just not to me, it was not fair to him with what I knew. And I thought, man, you know, I don't, I'm not good at that much. I'm good at that. So I'm going to, I owe it to him to pass it on to him the right way. Right. So when he was about nine, I was the first year I did my camp and I literally at the end of the camp, I realized, okay, I need to put a team together and you know, whatever I did, I had to do research on like what constitutes an AAU team and what do you, you know? So I literally was like, all right, I'm going to, I had notes from my camp. I'm going to cold call about nine kids that came through my camp that age that made an impression on me. And I'm going to hand this is Mullica Hill, New Jersey. Mullica Hill, New Jersey, local, local schools. And I said, I'm going to handpick these kids. I'm not even going to try us. I'm going to call these kids. And I, even if I only end up with seven players, I'll do it with seven players. I ended up with 10. Nobody said no. And here we go. We're off and running as nine-year-olds. We're playing little local tournaments. We're practicing a couple times a week, but it was obvious these kids were starting to really learn how to play together because of what I was teaching them and how how to play together. And it was it was a blast. So here we go. Year after year, we start. You know, every year, a kid would couple kids would drop off. I'd add a couple. You know, four kids stayed the entire time from age nine through age 17. And and reason that's pretty incredible is because we start now we're winning pretty much all of the local tournaments. And now we're starting to go, we're driving up to New York city or North Jersey. We're driving down to DC and now we're competing against kids. You know, we've never seen before and we're doing pretty well in those tournaments. And now, now 14, 15 years old. And we are, we've established a great reputation. And with the South Jersey jazz is the organization we were part of. And 
I knew that like there was more there for us because now I'd added a couple of big time players that had come to me and sought me out because they saw what we were doing and their parents were like, I want my kid to learn from you and be a part of this. And so now here we are, we're entering the, the U15 year and I'm like, we're beating teams that are on national circuit, national sneaker circuits. Like we're beating some of these teams in these tournaments. And I'm going, wait a second, these teams are fully sponsored. Yeah. And, and they're on a circuit with all this exposure from with all these college coaches coming to their tournaments. We're good enough. So I start basically beating the bushes of everybody I knew in the basketball world was connected to the grassroots. And I ended up striking up a conversation with the Under Armour people. And I said, look, and they said, all right, going into the U15 season, this is all I want you to do. I want you, we're going to keep track of your team. I want you to, to be chronicling these teams you're running into that are on sneakers of, that are sponsored by sneakers. And I want your results. Every single time we beat one of those teams, I'm firing the results off to these guys. Like, here you go. Took care, took down another one, you know, <laughs> and, and they're, I really drove them crazy. So now we're going into the U16 season and a big, a big thing happened. We added a kid named Miles Kale who was in Delaware being hounded by every big time AAU program in the area. And his father saw our team play and specifically he's a six, five freak athlete, like electrifying in the open floor, incredibly coachable. And he said, I just like what you guys are doing. It's different. I want him to learn from the best. I want him to learn the fundamentals. I want him to be a better shooter. He needs to tighten up his shooting and all those things. His athletic ability, Anthony, every night immediately gave us a chance to compete against anybody. So now he we added him, and I now I'm like Under Armour guys, I'm like, all right, we got what we need, and they put us on the circuit going into the U16 season, and we battled that year. We came up just 24 teams nationwide. We came up just short of the playoffs. Came back for the U17 year. I went out, saw it a little bit of size. Actually, Tim Perry's son joined my team that year. Yeah. Tim That's Perry cool. Jr., who played yeah. at Cherry Hill East High School, um, he I needed one more big, so I I personally reached out to Timmy. I'd known him forever. He was a he was living in Mullica Hill at the time, and I said, "Listen, man, I need." He he didn't believe in AAU. He didn't want him playing AAU. He had a bad experience as a younger kid. He wrote it off. I said, "Tim, it's different with me, man. You gotta give me a chance. Just bring him to a practice." And he came around, and his personality fit, and he loved what we were doing, and gave me another big. And so now he's on a team, a kid named Anthony Mack joined my team that year who was playing at a prep school in North Jersey, found out about us. He signed with Wyoming and ended up at Miami. So I, I added some pieces and now we go that last year, U 17 and we make the Under Armour playoffs and we end up finishing eighth out of 24 teams nationwide. And four, four of those kids that were on the original team were still on the team. Uh, my son included. And look, some of those kids, the second half of my roster, they played Division Two, Division Three, But I had uh, – I ended up, I think, five kids played Division One, And 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 I was playing against teams with 10 Division One players every single game in the Under Armour circuit. And we we stunned the Houston defenders in the playoffs that year who were loaded with a bunch of five-star recruits. And they I still remember the look on their faces when we shook their hands after the game. Like, what just happened to us? Um, so – it was we peaked with that. It was an incredible thing. These kids will never forget it. I don't know they'll ever have a better basketball experience. Miles Kale went on to start, I think, four years at Seton Hall. It was a thousand point score at Seton Hall. He's playing overseas now. 
I don't think any of those kids would ever say they had a more enjoyable overall basketball experience of playing for the South Jersey Jazz. And more importantly, they bonded. They're lifelong friends. These kids will be at each other's weddings. Um, it's just with the most incredible thing that we created. Uh, and my Wally Kennedy, my assistant coach, his son was one of those original four. Um, and we're lifelong friends. And so the memories are just, you know, the constantly getting text still from that group on a thread, like just updating me on what's going on with people. It's great, man. It's just nothing means more than impacting kids' lives like that. And, uh, and more importantly, teaching them what the game looks like when it's beautiful. Cause that was, was important to me. And it's not, it doesn't always look that way at AAU level. And, and uh, cause you're getting kids from all over, you're throwing them together and going, trying to win You know, basketball requires cohesion and rhythm and timing and, they don't practice enough. They play a lot of tournaments. So it's a lot of one-on-one, -on -one, a lot of showcasing for the coaches. And I get that. That's fine. It's great. It's great exposure. And those kids end up playing in college. We couldn't play that way and survive with my whole roster. So I had we had to play that way. And, and, and those kids understood now this is what basketball looks like when the ball is shared the way it's supposed to and guys play the right way and care about each other. This is what it looks like. And it's, it's really, really fun. There's nothing more fun to being on a court with four guys that know how to play. It's just the best feeling in the world. Hey, that's going to wrap up part one of our conversation with Tim Legler. Hope you enjoyed it. Well, guess what? We got part two. That's going to drop on Wednesday. It, really interesting stuff. So make sure you subscribe to all of our channels. It's free. It's the only way that we can provide this sort of content so please hit the subscribe button and thanks so much for hanging with Yo Kid Sports.